Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are continuing our series, Looking for Jesus, Looking for Jesus. And this whole month, Um, It being perfect timing that Easter is this month, we're going to be um, looking at all the times that people went to the tomb looking for Jesus. And today specifically, we're going to be focusing on the idea of how we relate to these stories. And the top title for today is I can't do this. I can't do this. And we're going to be looking at the story of Mary Magdalene when she goes to the tomb. And I'm going to just preface this message today. Um, I really feel like it's, uh, it's a message that resonates with our emotional selves. And a person is a, a mental person, a physical person, a spiritual person, and an emotional person. And we often lean towards one of those areas in our lives. We either feel like we're an intellect or we're a spiritualist or we're emotional people or, you know, et cetera. And uh, today, this is really going to pull from the emotional part of ourselves. So starting off in John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18, we're going to, this is when Jesus has been crucified already. And now it is the third day. It says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they put him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and yet she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away to tell me where you put him, and uh, if you have carried me him away, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So the very first thing we're going to be talking about today is the idea of raw and painful emotions. Raw and painful emotions. And... Starting off with that, I want us to understand that painful emotions reveal what really matters to you. Painful emotions reveal what really matters to you. In this scene, we see Mary weeping outside the tomb, and I really feel that we should take a deeper look to understand Mary and her life at this moment. Uh, How many of you guys watched or heard about the Da Vinci Code when it came out? There's, there's this huge conspiracy created about Mary Magdalene being Jesus' secret girlfriend. Um, and the, the director of that movie is a, a public atheist and uh, openly admits that there's no evidence to it at all. 
that he just wanted to give people a reason to question faith, to, to doubt their faith. And so um, this scene of looking at Mary and wondering why, uh, why she's so emotionally connected to Jesus, I feel like the explanation is found in simply looking at her life in the Bible. The, only, the references that we have to her is that her being a woman that was almost stoned to death by the Pharisees for being an adulteress. That's all we know is that she was ca- caught in the act of adultery. And she was also a woman that's referenced as being uh, that Jesus cast seven demons out of. So like, like she's got some experience. <laughs> and I want us to understand that, uh, in, that who she is for a moment. So this is a, a woman that had a radical change in her life after experiencing Jesus. That, and if you just think for a moment of what kind of mo- woman she was before Christ, not just by the labels, but by the real person she was. We look at people in scripture and we just look at the label that they carried from their, their mistakes or their actions. But I want us to really see her as a, as a living person, a person that was alive, a person that had feelings, a person that felt, that believed, that, that had hope, that had pain. We can infer that a lot about her, even with the little told about her. Statistically, women who are extremely lewd have had either absent or abusive fathers in their upbringings. I want to, say, to just take a moment to understand that. And so we're inferring, but we also don't see any other family connected to her in these stories, while other followers have mentions of their relatives being with them. When you look at all the other disciples, it talks about them being at their, their mother-in-law's house, their, their, uh, their sister's house. It, it has all these references of these close-knit family connections. But for Mary, we only see her. And it also explains just her not being connected with their family, her not having a good father. It would explain why she alone was at the tomb on the day after Passover. Passover was one of the most important holidays for the Jewish people. And it, and it's, it was typically spent at your father's house. And it was a day of celebration, a day where all your family was there. And yet she, the very next day after Passover, she's here at the tomb by herself and no one else is there. It shows this big disconnect with her family. And now... I see a woman who has had an unfair and unpleasant life that turned to sleeping around in order to feel wanted, to feel valuable, to feel whole. And while for her, it may have been uh, this uh, sleeping around, but for us, we all have things that we try to cover ourselves with or try to go to to feel that satisfaction in life, to try to feel, fill those voids, uh, feeling uh, Ill, in, uh, unvaluable, to fill those voids of not feeling wanted, those voids of feeling broken. And as she went from place to place trying to feel better about herself, she slowly did more and more things that made her lose more of herself. See, whenever we go into the things of this world to try to make those patches over our souls, make those patches over our lives, we actually lose more and more of ourselves and pain ourselves with these things and this behavior rather than our true personality. makes me think about when I used to be an alcoholic. I, I embodied alcohol in my life. It was like in my character. That's all I was known by. But once I was free from that and I, I uh, was able to break those addictions, I was able to actually find myself, not the substances I used to patch myself. Y'all see what I'm saying? 
And as she became a public label among her community and among all the religious leaders, she gave up on herself. Think about this moment where they're pulling her, uh, pulling her out of a house. At, uh, it, it doesn't sh like show the details, but it says that she's caught in the act of adultery. So what I'm seeing doesn't talk about her being married, but it talks about, it seems like she was with some other man that was married. And in the act, all of these religious leaders bust in the door like they're the police and pull her out into the street, letting everybody know what she did and bring her before Jesus to try to do a public execution. Okay, this is not just like the first time of her being noticed by people, though all of the community thinks this little of her. Imagine carrying that kind of label within, within yourself, within the people that know you. And, and I would imagine that more and more as she carried these labels that other people put on her, the more and more that she is, is uh, losing her identity, more and more she is just uh, giving up on herself. And in these moments that we give up on ourselves, I want you to really resonate for that. The moments that we give up on ourselves, the moments that we stop trying, the moments that we get, uh, throw our hands up, this is a way that she is in the state of her life. And the devil simply took advantage of this vulnerable state that she was in and did his best part in trying to keep her there. See, sometimes we get into those super low places and the devil's job is to just take advantage of that vulnerability and keep us in that low, low state. And now that we understand this, this grasp of who she is, I want us to see her as this person that, that has feelings, that has emotions, that has a past, that, that is even a product of abuse, a product of pain. And this is the full picture of this, of this person that she is. And now we see this person is the person that Jesus saw and had compassion on. The moment where everyone was willing to, to put her to death. There's even a part where she was weeping over Jesus's feet and wiping her tears with her hair. And some religious leaders uh, said in their hearts, this man can't be a prophet or he wouldn't know how disgusting this is because he doesn't even know what kind of woman this is. I mean, look, I'm, I'm gonna just be frank with you. If I'll, I'll use this analogy with, say, Lauren, my wife, if I was single and I had a woman like Lauren crying over my feet and wiping her hair, I was like, I'd be like, all right. If, if I saw someone else with Lauren weeping over someone else's feet, I was like, man, I wish those were my feet. I would be jealous. But because of the label she wore, this man thought it was disgusting. I want you to really understand of how low she must have been in her community for, for people to think that much of her. To where there was, there was no, no positive vibe from that. It was all just low, disgusting. And this is the person that Jesus showed mercy towards. This is the person that he showed love towards. And this, for her, this is a, the life that was changed. This is the life that was redeemed, the life that was saved a complete turnaround moment for her. And I want us to understand that Jesus was not only just her savior from H-E double hockey stick. See, a lot of times we just think of Jesus being savior from hell, that he's the savior of the world. But for her, 
it wasn't just that he was the Messiah, but that he was also her savior in this world, that he turned her life completely around. He completely changed her life and, and he gave her hope again. Other people literally saw her as disgusting, but he saw her as, he was the one person that saw her as valuable. Can you imagine the deep emotional connection, the, 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 the feelings that she had of appreciation towards Jesus the Messiah now? Because this isn't just another sad disciple that Jesus what, that thought that Jesus was the Messiah and is doubting who he is now. But this is a woman who truly felt like nothing else mattered without Jesus there. Everything became meaningless. Everything became hopeless without having Jesus there. Just, just think about all that. And now think of a time, uh, just how Mary, uh, Mary was here at the tomb weeping, feeling all of these emotions. Now think of a time that you could relate to Mary. Think of a time that feeling of feeling so much painful emotion that you felt paralyzed in your life. You felt like you couldn't do anything else. You, you felt uh, pathless, directionless. You, you didn't know what to do and you felt paralyzed. Now this is Mary outside the tomb. This is an, a, an emotional person and all that matters to her is the thought of seeing Jesus again. The thought of, of wishing that it was all just a bad dream. And so we, we really see what, uh, what matters to us in these painful, raw, emotional times that we go through. Now, I want us to go into our next point, which is desperation and confusion. Emotions can cloud your judgment and make you desperate. If you've ever been through a scenario similar, anywhere close to the way that Mary, uh, the way that we're talking about how Mary would felt, you know that when you're in an emotional state, that your judgment is clouded and you become desperate. So many of us are willing to do anything just to feel better. And it makes me think about my life before Christ. And I, that's, that's simply why I turned it to, to drugs and alcohol, to, to crime, to violence. I was trying anything to make myself feel better. And all, all sense of morality was out the door because my emotions were clouding my judgment. I didn't care about right or wrong. I just wanted to feel better and I was desperate. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So now understanding her deep emotional connection to Jesus we can now better connect her deep emotional pain as she's standing outside this tomb. Imagine the pain in her questions. Imagine what kind of questions she was having in her mind. What am I going to do now? That, that simple, desperate question, what am I going to do? What if I go back to who I was before? How am I supposed to make it without them? Who do I have now? Think of all these desperate questions that she would have all the emotions just now now not just feeling pain but filling her with doubt filling her with fear and having these rhetorical questions building up that aren't looking for answers they're just questions building up to make her more afraid she is so emotional at this point that she becomes almost incoherent if you've ever been that 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 sad, that emo uh, emotional to where it's almost like you can't even grasp what people are saying to you. 
Have you ever had a moment where it's almost like a movie where you're just in your emotions, you feel what you do, and someone could be talking to you, but it's almost like you, you zone out and you don't even realize they're talking. And she literally sees angels in this empty tomb and couldn't see that God was doing something. Even in her response to them, it shows that she only cares about one thing, Jesus and the fact of him being gone. These angels sitting in the tomb, even that scene, even if they just looked like people, this is a bizarre scene. The tomb, which was closed and sealed, is now open. Jesus's body is gone. There's rags everywhere. This is a weird, uh, interesting, mysterious scene. And these two people or angelic beings are, are there standing at the, the foot and the head of where Jesus's body was. And she's just like, but Jesus isn't there. She doesn't even care about anything else. And even as they ask, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken my Lord. She's like, is talking to angels. And she doesn't care. And when we are going through extreme emotions, we often behave in similar ways. It's hard for us to see any light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard for us to accept help. It's hard for us to hear from anyone because we're stuck in this painful emotional state. Emotions can be stronger than anything around us. And that is why it is so important to let people in when, you, when you're hurting and when you're going through an exceptionally emotional time. Even though we often want to isolate and push out, we need people to help and support us during times like that. We get so emotional where we block everybody out and it's almost like we don't even want help. It, we, we get to a point where it, we feel helpless and it is one of the most dangerous things that we can do because again, our judgment is clouded when we're that emotional. The truth is the disciples didn't just forsake Mary. It's not like th that she was completely alone. All the people that were walking with Jesus, they cared about her too. They had Jesus's heart, but she didn't even care about any of that. She doesn't care about the community that she was involved in. She still feels alone, desperate, and emotional. And often when we go through extreme emotional times like that, we've, our judgment becomes clouded and we forget of the people that are actually there for us. And we get so emotional to where we imagine that because of the pain we're feeling, because of the emotions we're feeling, that we're, we're all alone. When truly, there's, there's times that we're not. There's times where the people that we've grown with care about us and they're trying to help us, they're trying to talk to us, but we've drowned them out. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I wanted to share this scripture because this is when Adam was literally in paradise and it wasn't good for him to be alone. How much more when you're going through something traumatic, how much more when you're going through difficulty is it not good for us to be alone? Think about even uh, the times where I would go through depressions or suicidal thoughts. I would have those most when I was alone. Just think about that for a moment. I'm not saying that you can't get depressed with, around people. I'm not saying that you can't have suicidal thoughts around people. But what I'm saying is they were exponentially more when I was alone and isolated.
compared to when I was around people that loved me. It is not good for us to be alone. And likewise, we shouldn't let people do hard things alone. I think some of the most meaningful people in our lives are those who were invasive enough to check in on us when we were going through a hard time, that were rude enough to ignore our stop signs and saying, just leave me alone. The people that would check up on us anyway, call us anyway, text us anyway, even though we were pushing them out. It is our job as the church to be family members to others. We are commanded to love one another, and that is best seen in the moments that someone needs someone else to lean on, to be someone's rock during hardship. Look at what the scripture says in Romans 12, verse 9 through 10. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is a powerful verse. Don't just pretend to love others. Another version says love should be without hypocrisy. Really love them. And so often in our churches, we go through pain, trauma, hardships, alone, to where we find our leanings and our rocks on the friends that we don't even talk to anymore because the people in our churches never reach out. If you would want someone to care about you like that, I urge you to care like that about someone else. Don't assume that they probably have someone. Don't assume that someone's checked up on them. You know how many times there's people in car accidents and dozens of cars drive by assuming that someone called the police, that someone called an ambulance. And those people are, 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 and no one has. Just don't assume they're okay. And the only way that we can live like that is really by being genuine, connecting with each other, talking to each other outside of this building. That is how we behave as the church. No one, no one should have to go through these things alone. So now we understand Mary in this deep sense. We understand how emotional she is. We understand how, how much pain she's going through. And now I want us to understand how refreshing this moment is when she realize, realizes that Jesus is right in front of her. God's presence gives clarity and it refreshes you during hardship. God's presence gives clarity and it refreshes you during hardship. In the final moments in which Mary hugs and clings to Jesus, it shows several extremely meaningful ideas that we can unpack. The first thing I'd like to say is that I totally uh, relate to Jesus in the moment that she thought he was just the gardener. There's times where people have come to the church and like, yeah, have you seen the pastor? I was like, you're looking at him. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just, uh, just someone that came for the first time. In this final moment, we see some really meaningful parts. One is that in the single moment being in Jesus's presence, her hope is revived, her pain is resolved, and her sorrow has closure. Those are three really meaningful things to have during an emotional hardship. Hope being revived. Again, hope is not just a, a, a 
a petty, uh, pitiful want. I hope this happens. Hope is a, a strong belief that you feel deep in your core. She felt hopeless before, and in this moment, she truly has all of this hope revived within her. She, I would equate it to feeling dead inside before, to now she feels like she's alive again. And all of her pain being resolved. If you've ever had deep emotional pain, especially like the death of a loved one, it's like just this pain that you can't shake. And you just want it to go away. And in this moment that she sees Jesus, all of that pain is resolved in a single moment of God's presence. And then finally, her sorrow has closure. All of the questions, the doubts, all of those fears, having closure to something is incredibly meaningful. And I want us to understand that this is very prophetic, that this all happens in the moment of God's presence, in the moment of Jesus's presence. And when you are going through an emotional difficulty like that, emotional hardship, trauma, seeking God's presence is key to making it out through the other side. It is not easy to decide to worship or to decide to pray when you're emotionally hurting like that. It takes intention and it really takes breaking through a wall. It really it takes breaking through that emotional wall. Because when, if you're, especially if you're feeling depressed, Sometimes it feels like the only thing you can do is try to sleep. You feel like it's hard to even get out of bed. You, you feel like it's hard to do anything, let alone try to better yourself or try to, to, to feel better. It just, all you think is, I just want to sleep. I just want to lay here. I don't want to do anything else. This pain hurts too much. And so breaking past that wall and deciding to worship, trying to spend time in God's presence, I'm, I'm telling you, his... His presence, the Holy Spirit's presence is so powerful that it, it does this work in our lives. It is so powerful. It does this kind of work in my, in my life, in our lives. And I, I can only tell you that you should try it. I've done it. Uh, the times where I've done it, it's like, it's just so beautiful that you can literally worship God in pain. I remember moments where I'd, I'd be crying and lifting my hands at, in faith, not because I wanted to, but be just in faith saying, I'm going to worship you even through this. I'm going to declare that you are good even though nothing feels good right now. And in those moments, I've, I really feel like it's the only thing that helped me break through those emotional, deep, dark times. Another meaningful thing to notice is that after her moment of restoration, she immediately went to tell others of what she has seen and experienced with Jesus in his resurrection. Now, I'm not trying to, to turn this into uh, 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 an evangelical twist to where uh, right as in your pain, you should go tell everybody about it. No, I'm talking about this moment of restoration to where she had emotional closure. She, she made it to the other side. She told people about God's goodness. She told people about Jesus's resurrection. She was public with her faith and she was public with, with what made it better. She was open about her relationship with Jesus, her experience with Jesus. We should never hide or, or uh, tone down what God has done in our lives, especially when he's done a restorative work. She immediately went and told others about it. And finally, I think that this is actually one of the most meaningful things. It's incredibly perplexing 
that Jesus meets Mary like this. It's very perplexing that Jesus meets Mary like this because she is the very first person he reveals himself resurrected to. And I want us to understand what that means. In fact, this really confirms Jesus's resurrection, even just in a logical sense, because her being a woman at that time in that culture, it meant that her testimony had very little validity. A woman's testimony wasn't even used in court. And so for Jesus to reveal himself resurrected first to a woman, it, it would not have been a very, it's not a very good basis for, for him to spread the news of his resurrection around. But it shows how authentically true it is. This is, uh, this is why even when she goes to tell the disciples, they don't believe her. When you read it in scripture, they didn't even believe what she was saying because she was a woman and they thought she must be going crazy. And so it's very perplexing of why Jesus chooses to reveal himself first to her. And he uses her as the messenger to share the gospel with others. It's a very, uh, that's like a, a double uh, sided sword. If you think about it, especially when people, people who say that women are not allowed to preach the gospel, Jesus was the very first person in the world that preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ to others. He's a very, she was the very first person given the mission to tell others of his resurrection. It's very important to note that. But I think that the, his reason was much more meaningful than simply a logical perspective. I've been there to counsel and pray with people after the death of a loved one. And it's always really hard. It's so difficult just being with this emotional pain and feeling really just feeling helpless to do anything about it. As a pastor, it, it is so hard because I want to help, but there's little help that I can give besides just being there to listen, to talk, to, to, to pray. And the most common thing that people say is I just wish I could hug them one more time. I just wish I could hold them one more time. And in this part of the story, it seems as though Jesus came to her simply to answer this desperate prayer that she had. To specifically show her love, comfort, and encouragement in this moment that she felt like she couldn't go on. This moment that she felt like she couldn't go on, I can't do this. And Jesus goes to answer that one heart's prayer I wish I could just hold him one more time. And I want to share this final verse. In Psalm 56, 8, it says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. So many times we feel like isolated, alone, like God is not there through our pain. And in this moment, for Jesus to simply meet Mary like this, to give her closure, to be, to, to be there for all of the tears that she was crying. I feel like it, it resonates with this psalm because nothing in our life goes unnoticed by God. He cares about every detail of your life, especially the moments of hardship and sorrow. He's with you and he wants to comfort and affirm you. 
And I think that that last sentence is something to really resonate on. That he wants to comfort you. That he wants to affirm you. And it's that, it, it's that part right there that it takes faith to believe God at his word. It's not just me saying this, but scripture constantly saying it. Of his love and his affirmation for us. And especially in emotionally dark times. God is there for us. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're ending on this point of the refreshing comfort of Jesus. And if you're here in this moment, and while listening to this message, maybe at some point you're just resonating with this idea of this emotional Jesus, this this real Jesus that cares about your heart, about what you go through, that he doesn't want you, that he doesn't look at you and think you just need to toughen up and get through it. Just have faith that he cares about your soul and your deep emotion. He collects all these tears. And maybe you're here and upon hearing that you've never saw Jesus like that. And you feel in your heart that you want to have this kind of relationship with God and you haven't had this kind of relationship before, maybe you've been to church, but you've never made a specific decision to trust in Jesus, and you want to do that today, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. So that right where you're at, I want you to have a conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have an authentic conversation with Jesus yourself, that's all it takes to start a relationship with him. I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit does a great work within us when we simply have that conversation. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to God yourself. Now, while they're doing that, if you're here and you're resonating with this story and thinking about, thinking about whether, you're, whether you're going through an emotional time right now, a point where you feel like you can't do this, or you're resonating in recent past of the time where you felt like you couldn't do this, you couldn't make it through, and you're resonating in this personal, emotional Jesus, and you want to connect more with that. You want to lean in more to God, even through those kinds of emotions. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So right where you're at, I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray for you to give imagery to each person here. I pray that you'd give them imagery of what they need to see. And that you would speak to them clearly. That whatever it is that they see by you, that your Holy Spirit would put the words, the feelings, everything that they need to hear to back it up. And that you'd give closure and encouragement to whatever it is they're putting before you in the name of Jesus. I pray for you to seal what you started and that you give, uh, that you give encouragement to put their trust in you and to see you with them through whatever storm that is. I thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you that you are true at your word, that your love is real and authentic, 
And we just simply love you and want you to be in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. With all that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love y'all. Have a good rest of your life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.